What an honor to get to bring the word to all of us today. So thank you for having me. And it's quite an interesting chapter, John 3. Probably the most well-known Bible verse across the whole world for many, many centuries has been John 3.16, which we could all probably recite by heart that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life eternal. Amen. What an amazing verse that, and the reasons it's so popular is because in one short statement it communicates the truth of God's purpose in how he worked in his broken world to bring about the greatest solution, salvation through his son. So we're going to look at the context of this amazing verse and how it came to be that Jesus makes this statement. Today we're going to look at this great paradox, really, through this conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And ultimately that religion is not the answer to our spiritual needs. A paradox in itself. You know, the darkness of today's world alarms us as uncertainty, violence, sin, fragility, and vulnerability surround us every moment. Humanity's darkness threatens our joy, our contentment, our hope for the future. And sometimes we choose physical or even metaphorical darkness to hide what we don't want others to see, know, or believe about us. We might even try to hide from God who sees and knows everything. But the good news, and that's what we're going to focus on today, is that God responded to our need in a glorious way. Amen? Jesus Christ, the light of the world, left heaven's glory to dispel that very darkness that threatens us. Amen. And under the cover of night, Jesus shed light on Nicodemus' greatest need, spiritual rebirth, to be born again. And so this conversation itself helps us in understanding the light of salvation that Jesus shines on humanity. So we're going to look at this great, what I, I'm calling paradox. And uh, we're going to look at a few paradoxes in this very chapter. And so we'll go one by one. So let's just listen or read together um, chapter 3, um, these first verses. Now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came at night to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the signs that you are doing unless God were not with him. And Jesus replied, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus. <laughs> How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb 
And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Gets a little more mysterious. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Come on, Nicodemus. (laughs) Come on, John. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked again. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is so central. I hope we really grasp this today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But instead to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Wow, what a statement. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Lord, have mercy on us. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has, all, has been done in the sight of God. So we're going to unpack all these things. There's quite a statement Layers and layers of Jesus unveiling things to Nicodemus, this teacher of the law, this expert. And so we'll look at our first paradox and Nicodemus's incredible question, how can this be? How can be all that you're saying, Jesus, how can this be? What is a paradox? Actually... It's been fun kind of understanding because this word came to my mind like this chapter is full of these paradoxes. But um, I wanted to really understand what is a paradox. It's, it's a persistent contradiction. A statement that runs contrary to one's expectations. Isn't that what we find in Nicodemus? He was perplexed by the contradiction of Jesus 
And it wasn't Jesus' response to his perplexion did not, was not what he expected. It's this unity of opposites. That's a paradox, a unity of opposites. So we're going to look at all these unities of opposites that Jesus points out in this chapter. The first one is Nicodemus himself, a religious elite, but yet empty, spiritually dead. It's so obvious in his interaction with Jesus. What is a Pharisee and what is a ruler of a ruling council? This, what was called the Sanhedrin. So what this means is Nicodemus was the the, you know, the creme de la creme of Israel in terms of religious law and leadership. He was a member of this 71-member council over all of the whole nation of Israel, which meant this guy needed to know the Torah by memory. He needed to know every single law that was written or the oral tradition that was made around those laws he had to have that, not only did he need to know it and have the resources, he had to have it memorized. He knew every single one of these 613 distinct laws that Israel was to follow to be righteous. He was an expert in this. Man, he far exceeds me in religious austerity, okay? Nicodemus was the guy. How like Nicodemus are we that might be doing everything right according to the rules, but yet we're still empty spiritually? There's still this void, even though we're trying to follow the law as we understand it to the best of our ability. And this is the great paradox of religion, is religion is supposed to promise this peace through a moral code but it actually leaves us spiritually bankrupt. And this is what Jesus is unraveling for Nicodemus when he comes to Jesus. There was something he saw in the person of Jesus that didn't equate with his religious upbringing and experience. But let's just take a second to, to think about our own upbringing and maybe our own hang-ups with um, the gulf we feel or the distance we feel with God in our daily experience, what have we exchanged for what God really intended for us? And that's um, for us to determine each individual. So let's look at the second paradox, and that's Jesus himself. Obviously, God was with him. Nicodemus said, we know you're a teacher of God because no one could do the signs that you're doing unless God was with him. I mean, it's obvious, like, there's power there. And this power you have, I don't have. So Jesus represented a, quite a paradox for Nicodemus because he was like, I'm a part of the religious elite. You're not one of us. Actually, my gang are trying to, like, get rid of you. But there's something real about what you have, and we see the evidence of it. And so Nicodemus, for his own protection, has to come at night, which is a paradox in itself. This man who's supposed to be 
transparent in the light, bringing the, the law to the light, has to come by cover of darkness to, to um, shroud his big question. Teacher who has come from God. And this is where we need to ask, do we know Jesus? Are we drawn to him like Nicodemus was because we see the power of who this person is in Jesus? And are we drawn to that power? And are we mystified by the amazing nature of Jesus himself? So let's look at the, the next, the third paradox about this idea of being reborn. And this is really where Nicodemus starts to get thrown. <laughs> Jesus, what are you saying? How can someone who's old be born again? What do we, climb up into our mother's womb? I mean, it's so ridiculous, right? And Jesus said, no, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What does that mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born afresh even when we're already old? And I wonder, have you experienced the joy of rebirth spiritually? Have you tasted what that means to have everything all of a sudden be clear and make sense in, in the sense of your relationship with God because you've had a spiritual rebirth and all that law and guilt and shame has been set aside because there's been an illumination, a new life given to you. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So we look at the next paradox where Jesus begins to unravel this for Nicodemus. And, and this leads to Nicodemus' great question, how can this be? He keeps wondering, okay, he's going deeper. And we got to appreciate Nicodemus in his vulnerability before Jesus. So Jesus begins to talk about the difference between physical or flesh versus spiritual. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So what's he talking about? Water and spirit. Some believe that he's referring to the natural birth that we all are born out of water in our mother's womb in the embryonic sac um, others believe he's talking about the baptism that John had been doing that everyone knew about especially Nicodemus it was his baptism of repentance some believe Jesus is referring to the wa water of the word that washes over us and in one sense maybe Jesus is talking about all of those things, that we need all of that first. We need, you know, we're, we're born into this world in the flesh. And, and in water, we, we first need to come before God in repentance, like that baptism that John was offering, that the first, the first step of, of coming to salvation and being born again is, is recognizing our sin and being willing to expose that in the light and come before God in repentance. And then we need the word of God to illumine us, to wash over us, to free us. And Jesus even talks about the washing of the word. Paul talks about that, that the word itself has cleansing power. So in one sense, Jesus is talking about that we need that kind of first birth before the spiritual rebirth can happen. 
Flesh versus spiritual. And this is where it gets exciting because he begins to introduce the Holy Spirit. And I love this. The wind. You know, the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek and all this is the same. Ruha in Hebrew, it means wind, spirit. It's the same word. And Jesus is giving a play on words here. He's saying, you know, the spirit, the, the wind, think of it. It's invisible. You cannot sing. You can't grab the wind. But you see the evidence of it as it moves about. You can't guess where it's going to move from one place to the other. But you see the evidence of it. And it's powerful. Wind changes things. Wind can move things. Wind is a powerful force. And Jesus is saying, this is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. It's a great mystery, the greatest gift from God. When we come to that spiritual new birth, we receive the Holy Spirit, which gives us the power for transformation, the ability to leave that sin and shame and darkness and to have this new life force in us that allows us to do things that are incredible. And that's the very distinctive difference between us and those who don't have faith in Christ is we have the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you if you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit, today is an opportunity for you to receive the mystery of the Holy Spirit, which is the greatest change that your life will experience because you go from just the natural ability to a supernatural ability which is an incredible promise from God. So if you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit, I would love to talk to you. Grab a leader, grab me after the service, say, I haven't experienced the Holy Spirit, and we'll pray for you and ask the Lord to just give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to receive this incredible promise of transformation. Amen? The next... Paradox is physical or flesh versus spiritual. And this is what the law in and of itself can't do to transform us. And that's why if we have received our Christianity based on trying to live a certain kind of moral code and we stand in judgment on the world because we have the answer, we've missed the very point of this spiritual rebirth. Because it's not about a code of ethics that gives us any power. If we try to follow that, we will find ourselves, just like Nicodemus, empty. Longing for something else. And we've missed the whole purpose of Jesus himself, this son who's come into the world to give us new life. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you not, do not believe. How then? Will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And this is where Jesus starts to talk of the mystery of the word which has been given in this revelation before. That Nicodemus, when Jesus starts to talk about these things, these pictures would come to his mind and he would be like, oh my, that's what that meant. And the first one is Jesus referenced to himself as the son of God, the son of man. What does this mean? We hear Jesus using this statement of himself all the time. And what he's doing is he's making a claim to the prophetic, um, the promise that this human would come into the world 
that was before the world began, that would come into the world and be given by the Ancient of Days according to this Daniel passage, all rule and authority over everything. Read with me in Daniel 7, the first time this phrase, Son of Man, appears. And it really, in Hebrew, just means Ben Adam, right? Ben, son of Adam. That's what the word is, son of man. In my vision at night, this is Daniel having this incredible spiritual revelation. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in Jesus saying, no one's ascended to the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And he's saying, that's who I am. Dan, um, Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. He was making claim to this person mentioned in Daniel. All rule and authority for all time being given to Jesus. And this is so important for us because if we don't surrender our will to this very person of Jesus in who he is and all his authority, then we've missed who he really is. He's not just a great guy that came and did this great thing. He is the king eternal that has all rule and authority and demands our submission to him, our worship of him. And to do that is the greatest thing, the greatest delight we could ever have. But the great paradox here is this, this reference to a son of man, that this person that could have all rule and authority actually took on flesh and blood. And this is, I work in the Muslim world. This is the great... Um, no, the great no for Muslims to believe that God could become a man and have a son. This is, you have committed the greatest sin if you, want, if you make a claim about this. That Jesus, if he's more than a prophet and you're believing that he's God's son, you are a complete heretic because of their high view of God. But that is the great paradox is that God would become flesh and blood for us. That's his great love for us. And that's the very heart. It's the crux of the whole message. Now, how could God do such a thing to stoop so low to become flesh and blood, become one with his creation? And not only that, the next statement even takes it further. And then Jesus said, for just as Moses lifted up this serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. What is he talking about? <laughs> in Numbers, we find this poor Israel, right? Just think of our, all of us. Here we are complaining again. God, why did you drag us out? Moses, what did you do to us? You brought us out to the, the desert to die. We had a better life in slavery in Egypt. And God is just, I'm done with these people. And he sends fiery serpents, venomous snakes among the crowd just to bring them to repentance. And these snakes start biting everyone. And they're pleading, Moses, pray for us, pray for us. We've sinned, we've sinned. 
And so God says, Moses, take this, take some bronze, make a serpent, put it on a flagpole, and hold it up. And if anyone looks at that snake on that pole, they will be healed from the venom of the snakes. And this was a picture of what was to come, something that is sin, something that is vile, becoming a symbol of life. Isn't that a mystery in itself, that God takes something despicable, and it's the very thing that brings us salvation? And so Jesus, again, is pointing Nicodemus to this thing that he would have known all his religious life, this story of this bronze serpent. And that, that thing became a, a snare for Israel even later on. They began to worship that, that bronze serpent. So one of the kings finally said, okay, and he destroyed it um, so that Israel wouldn't be worshiping that object. But Jesus brings reference to said, this is who I am, the son of man. I'm going to be lifted up. And no one understood what he was talking about, that he was going to go to the cross. But Jesus himself knew this. And the cool thing about this is, as you, anyone who's in medical profession know that this symbol has become a symbol for healing, which is really amazing that this biblical reference has become a symbol of healing. Uh, and um, it's really fascinating, I find. A symbol of death becomes a source of life. How can this be? The next paradox is light versus darkness. And this is where I want to get personal with us to think about um, our own posture and maybe the, our own paradox that we're struggling with. Are you like a moth to the flame, just so drawn to the light that you just want to get burned up in the light? <laughs> that you just are so hungry for God's presence, for fellowship with Jesus, that you're just drawn to the light. You just want everything exposed, and you just want to keep pursuing the light. Or are you like me, and sometimes um, we want to hide some of that in the shadows, and we're still drawn to stay in these shadows. Jesus is giving us an invitation to come out of that darkness. Because his light wants to expose the very need we have for the healing work of Jesus. Remember, the, the Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but to give life to the world. So God is inviting you not for condemnation, but for transformation and illumination. He's, he's inviting us to be free. So why do we hold on? and res reside in the shadows. Why do we have that tendency? And that's where the evil one constantly wants to bring fear and shame and keep us under the shame of our sin when we've been delivered from it and to live fully in the light and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's receive that invitation afresh today and let's encourage one another to live in that light. And that's why community is so important. It's a lot harder to live in darkness when we're surrounded by others living in the light. And there's no fear or shame. We're all sinners saved by grace. And this is the last and great 
paradox that God's great love for the world meant death for his son. And there's been some who want to reinterpret this because it's a hard truth to believe that how could a loving God send his own son? That's, we can't swallow that. But that's the very paradox of God's love is that it's so great it was willing to make the greatest sacrifice. Condemnation versus salvation. Let's be free of that and let us be drawn to the light. I want to just share um, in closing um, what happened to Nicodemus and then I'm going to share um, a couple of illustrations from people that I've had the privilege of serving recently. Nicodemus, we find him later in chapter 7. He um, stands up for Jesus says, do we really condemn a man before we've actually heard him? And then his... um, his colleagues say, wait a sec, you're not from Galilee as well. <laughs> he was trying to give a hint that he was one of Jesus' followers. And then at the very end, after Jesus' crucifixion in John 19, we find Nicodemus together with his colleague, um, Joseph, who um, took the body off the cross and they wrapped it with spices and mixtures and prepared it for burial. So we see that Nicodemus came of age. Even though he had to still protect his identity under the darkness of night, he was obviously a follower of Jesus and put his faith. So there's hope for us. I get to work with people that um, can't live transparently um, in, in the light, you know, the plain daylight of their faith because their nations or their religion under which they live prevents them for such a thing and would mean immediate prison or death. And I was with some people um, in the end of October and uh, some people from Sudan who have lived under this um, dominance of, of this religion and um, they've lost everything in the war and many have scattered and we were with all these Sudanese leaders and the paradox of their life so touched me because here were these men and women who had lost, if you go to the next slide you'll see two of the daughters of this community just praising the Lord with their whole hearts and it so touched me to watch even though they had lost everything and had suffered much they had this light in them and they could praise despite their suffering and it really challenged my faith I can live in such freedom in the United States to live my life of worshiping Jesus in broad daylight without any consequences but my brothers and sisters in many of these countries they're they're choosing to still praise despite the hardships in which they live. Their lives are a paradox. Physically, they have nothing to claim in this world, but spiritually, they are some of the most alive people that I've ever met. Um, last, I want to tell you just quickly about Joe, Joe uh, my friend Joey. 
because it might be hard for us to relate to people who live in other countries like Afghanistan and Somalia and, and um, Sudan, these people I get to serve that, that um, are living out their greatest faith in the midst of suffering. But someone like Joey might be a little closer to home and how the paradox of a life transformed by the gospel should be evidence to the world that this God and this Jesus is real because how could such a thing be? Joey is an amazing guy that I got the privilege of meeting about four years ago when he was um, just out of prison and sleeping in a field in our city. We have a massive homeless population. The weather's really great, you know, so why not be homeless in, in our city? <laughs> and Joey was just miserable, struggling with drugs and addiction, just out of prison. His life was a mess, and he was wrestling this one day in this field, just shouting at God, just having one of these, you know, ah, curse you, God. <laughs> and that's when um, my friend uh, who leads a ministry called... Um, street life um, was with a police officer and they, they went to reach out to him and he thought they were going to arrest him and so he wanted to run and instead they said no, 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 Joey or they didn't know his name at the time but they're like no, we're here to help you and at that moment Joey saw the light from heaven descending on him and giving him a new opportunity so I got to meet him soon after that where Joey was off the street, he had gone through rehab, and now God had given him an opportunity to work. And eventually, he's now the manager of this amazing theater. It's like the, it's kind of like the old Vic of Redwood City where we live. And he's the manager of this place. And he's like the mayor of the city because he just loves people. He's been so transformed. And he tells me, John, I can never, I can't even think about going back to that darkness. Because my life is so different. I've received such an amazing gift from God. Why would I ever want to go back and have all that darkness on me again? And I get to meet with him every week for mentoring and discipleship. And just to watch him share his faith and live in the light. And I, it reminds me that God is in the business of taking us from darkness into light. Amen. So here's some application questions as we finish, and these can just be up. I'll just read them quick, but as we, I guess there's another worship song, and we can just close our time as we worship, um, thinking about these questions. What paradox of Jesus are you struggling with this morning? Are you striving yet unfulfilled spiritually? Do you find yourself pursuing the light or living in darkness? Is your life a paradox? Meaning, do people see that? What's so unique about you? Why do you have such peace and power? And is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life conspicuous? Meaning, it's such a distinctive that it causes people to ask questions and that's the application of our faith and the impact we're having in the world, like Joey. So think about those things, and as we close our time in worship, and again, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit today and it's a new concept for you, come talk to us.